Hey folks, uh, just a quick editing note before we launch into today's episode. Uh, a number of times uh, during the recording, I make mention of the fact that this episode will probably be released uh, later than I actually managed to get it released because the events of this weekend are uh, interesting for all of those who are following triathlon. And uh, I uh, was able to change my schedule around a little bit to get this episode out one week early. And uh, I hope you'll appreciate it. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Um, we're recording this on May 4th, uh, you know, so insert your favorite start wars joke here and uh if you follow triathlon at all which i'm sure you listener do uh this week is of course the week of uh the triathlon world championship part one i suppose in uh saint george utah and uh this is an excellent excellent time to be having a follow-up conversation with uh john paul ballard of uh, swiss side who was on our last show uh, and uh, gave a stellar uh, overview of uh of his entry into the cycling aerodynamics world and uh, uh really a great coverage of what swiss side is all about um but before i introduce what we're going to talk about today i just want to say JP, thank you so much for returning on such short notice and uh, taking time, making time for us while you're away in beautiful St. George. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Hello, everybody. And uh, yeah, great to be back. And um, hello from the Ironman World Championships here in St. George, Utah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, JP, just so you know, and listeners, uh, most likely this episode will drop after the actual world championships. So we will have all the, we will know who won, although I will put JP on the spot and have him make some calls at the end of the show. Uh, and so <laughs> by the time this airs, you will have, you know, listeners, you will obviously know who, who those folks were. Uh, but St. George is a phenomenal venue for us to be having this follow-up conversation because uh, listeners, and if you haven't listened to part one, just hit pause. Go back to the first episode that we did with JP because uh, there was a lot of groundwork that we laid um, that we're going to tap into in having this second conversation. But very briefly, we spoke about uh, all of the tools that Suicide has at its disposal to assess cycling aerodynamics. And then um, we started talking about uh, some of the ways that they they can you know put that into practice. And we, we really left that conversation um, just as we were about to start talking about um, aerodynamic testing in the field. And it just so happens that JP is doing some of that very same uh, analysis as he is uh, working with his athletes in, uh, in St. George. So that's where we're going to kick things off. Uh, JP, tell us what you've been up to. Yeah, so um, yeah, one of the main reasons we're here in St. George is to make error measurements um, and uh, in particular to measure the wind um, and uh, for two reasons. One, to help our athletes make the right um, wheel setup, up um, and secondly, 
what's very interesting here in St. George is the, uh, the wind plays a big role in the power deployment strategy. So how many watts the rider has to push on what part of the course. Um, so what we're really trying to do is, um, is capture as much information about wind every single day on all different parts of the course. We're riding the course with various athletes um, and, uh, yeah, really to try and make a good prediction for, um, for our athletes in terms of, um, yeah, how to best tackle the course from a yeah, setup and strategy point of view. Okay, so let's dive right in. That's an awesome place to start. So uh, uh, let's talk about how the wind direction and speed uh, can affect your equipment choices on race day. Yeah, so um, one of the key things is sailing effect. So um, where does the wind come from? And when you, you see certain angles that, that hit you and the bike when you're riding, um, it can be advantageous if you have a good aero setup. So good wheels and a good bike frame work like the sail of a boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they generate aerodynamic lift, and that lift works to reduce the aerodynamic drag. Um, and actually a front, a good front wheel um, of say depth 60 millimeters or more uh, with certain wind angles, so around about sort of 12 to 14 degrees um, sort of onset flow angle, you actually have um, negative drag on the front wheel. So it actually pulls oh, you really? forwards. So, yeah, it's the only part of the bike and rider system that, that can produce negative drag. Um, but of course, uh, you want to have the, the biggest sail possible, so the biggest wheels possible. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, it becomes difficult to, to handle. Uh, and that's really individual for every rider, um, uh, depending on their weight, depending on their um, riding experience. So for each athlete, we really have like a threshold that um, where we get an idea when they should switch between, uh, at Swiss side in our case, uh, uh, an 800, which is an 80 millimeter deep front wheel, down to a 625, 62 millimeter deep uh, front wheel. Um, so yeah, the wind plays a big role. And of course, you want to maximize your aero setup. So you want to run the biggest wheels, the biggest sail possible. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how the different wind angles actually affect the course. So we did a lot of um, simulation with our, our simulation tools. So we've, we've run the course here. And what we can do is we can pick a certain athlete um, and we can run the course with their power and their overpower strategy and, and whatever. Um, and we can run it literally, we run an iteration of, of, of loops on our, on our supercomputer where we literally run every single wind angle and wind strengths. And we get this massive matrix of, uh, of information. And then we do a whole lot of fancy graphs um, to sort of better <laughs> understand what's going on and cross plots and whatever. But what's, what's really interesting here is um, just to throw it out there, uh, if the wind comes from the north, north, north or northeast here in St. George, the athletes with the biggest aero set up will benefit the most. Mm-hmm. Um, if the wind comes from the south, it makes a much smaller difference. Um, hmm. So that's also sort of part of how risky do the, do the athletes go So um, with their setups. So what's really interesting, we've had some crazy winds here in the last few days. One day is like super windy and gusty, and the next day is wind still. Um, they actually even had to cancel the swimming training yesterday. It was so windy, it was, it was not possible for safely for people to swim. Um, so that's a huge thing which affects which, which wheel people are going to ride. And I've literally deliberately went out also with a couple of our pro athletes riding in those conditions with, in my case, a full setup, like 80-millimeter 80, 80 deep front wheel and a full rear disc to figure out how rideable it was. Um, so, yeah, really interesting stuff. So, But, yeah, to sort of put it in a nutshell, uh, by choosing the right setups um, for the athletes and, and measuring the wind, we can really help our athletes um, yeah, minimize their time and help them with their strategy in, in terms of where and when they should should uh, overpower on the course to, to make uh, 
yeah, the best out of the, the race and have the lowest time. Okay, I have follow-ups. And I want to split this conversation, uh, this, uh, you know, part of our conversation into two parts. The first being setup, which at least in my mind is easier to conceptualize. So, um, yeah, I think everyone everyone who listens to the show appreciates the fact that, that deeper wheels are generally more aerodynamic and uh, it makes perfect sense that at certain wind conditions they, that that effect would be either increased or decreased. So are you, um, in, your, in your efforts to map the winds, are you hoping to come up with the model are you hoping to predict what the wind is going to be on on race day and then say okay you should run a 62.5 in a disc and you should run an 80 in a disc is that is that what you're trying to accomplish yeah that's exactly what we're doing and really for each individual athlete that we're supporting where we know where their thresholds are you know if they're a, a really strong cyclist with a lot of confidence they can typically ride the full aero setup more or less regardless of the wind it's got to be pretty howling for them to have to switch down and what's interesting maybe for the for the listeners is you can keep the rear disc on um to very high wind conditions you actually first switch down on the front wheel depth yep. before you switch the rear depth actually rear disc wheel has a st- stabilizing effect up to the point where it blows you off the road so <laughs> it's a it's, it's a funny one yeah awesome uh, any any other uh, equipment changes or are we just strictly talking about wheels any changes in the front end no, strictly talking about wheels. Um, I'll get on to another thing that we'll talk about later, which is tire pressures. Uh, another oh, thing yeah. we're doing okay. with our devices, we're doing a lot of, um, uh, we can also measure rolling or we can optimize rolling resistance and thereby tire pressure for the lowest rolling resistance. Awesome. Um, Let's put a pin in it though, like you said, because uh, yeah, because uh, that's, that, that is a very deep, deep rabbit hole. And uh, I definitely want to at least plumb some of its depths. But uh, um, then your, your power strategy. So uh, listeners who, who've heard us talk to the likes of uh, the folks from inside a few years back, and then more recently to the gentleman from, uh, from AeroTune, um, these folks are doing you know, metabolic analyses that, that, that can help you, for example, plan your power outputs for races of various durations so that you're, you're, you know, you're trying to optimize uh, metabolic energy use. And uh, there are lots of strategies for, for optimizing pacing, especially in a long course. So I am fascinated, fascinated to hear about your take on how you would use um, wind data. I understand how aerodynamics play into it because if you're more aero, you're going to spend less time on the course for the same power. So that's how you you plug that variable in. But how how does wind speed, wind direction, and the data you're collecting now affect your power plan on the day? Because that's something that I've never come across before. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question, and it, it's a very complex one. But um, so what we do is we run um, we we run the entire course for a certain athlete's um, power level, and for each athlete, we ask them as well. You know, what's their one minute overpower level? What's their five minute? What's their ten minute overpower oh, okay. level? What's their thirty minute overpower level? Um, and particularly on a course like uh, here in in St George, that's really important because it's really hilly. Um, there are some, uh, you know, it's nothing brutal. There are no like, you know, 10% climbs, but there's a whole lot of, you know, two, three, 4%, and then a couple of like steeper ramps. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do is, is we run an over, well, various overpower strategies in our simulation tool, and we see basically where you get the biggest bang for your buck um, uh. by overpowering. And we cut the course up into like, you know, whatever it is. We, we pick all of the climbs, for example. Yeah, you segment it, sure. We, we exactly, we segment the course into, you know, 100-odd segments. Um, and then we really look um, by adding 10 watts, 20 watts, 30 watts overpower, where do you get the biggest effective um, time gain, uh, yeah, per, per minutes 
um, ridden for for each area. And that's really interesting because then we can really say to the athletes, um, okay, because on on a course like this, they actually want to have the most constant power possible. So they want to minimize their variability, especially because the run course is very challenging. Um, So, uh, but at the same time, they need to know if they need to close a gap, if they need to break away, um, where is the best? Where are the best places where they can do that strategically, where their power is used most efficiently? Um, so that's that's kind of like a power strategy that's quite independent of um, uh, for, for for each athlete. Um, right. But what is actually interesting is depending on the wind direction and the wind strength, uh, which of the segments is the most potent for um, for for value for for your watts uh, changes. Um, so what we're basically, and we can't obviously give, you know, the athletes, you know, or here's, here's a recipe of uh, 50, <laughs> you know, 50, your 50 best courses. We basically give them, you know, like 10, 10 sort of spots, which they try and remember, um, uh, which is then the best, best way to attack. Um, but hmm. of course, you know, you hit the course and like, you know, working with a couple of our athletes in the last couple of days, you know, it's like, what's your strategy? Some certain athletes there, they have an attack strategy where they will try and, you know, um, you know, mix it up a bit and really try and break away and, and break their competitors. Yeah. And others have a, a very much more defensive strategy um, where they just have to sort of have a look what happens, keep in that front group, and they just have to try and go with it. Um, but again, if they get dropped, um, or if in the case of the aggressive athlete, if they want to break away, uh, in both cases, it's good to know where they can do that most efficiently. That's amazing. So that that I mean, you know, thinking at thinking about this from a perspective as a coach, that 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 sort of insight for race prep for an athlete on top of the stuff that their coach would give them is is invaluable. Like that that sort of uh, behind the scenes. And so, if I understand it correctly, it's it's not even. The advice you're giving them, and it's based on your um, on your simulation model or models, uh, which you talked about in our first conversation. Um, it's not necessarily tied to specific wind conditions. It also takes into account all of these other variables like elevation and and athlete strength. So it's it's above and beyond the the aero side. It's it's aero plus all of this other oh, stuff that goes I, into I, this model. Absolutely, it's it's the whole physio. It's it's got you know we've got a proper physiological model that that plugs into this. Um, obviously, it's quite it's quite different to the stuff we do with pro tour cycling teams, where you're talking about you know W prime and and you sure. know kind of your your battery usage, whatever uh, if you want to call it like that. The the long distance endurance athletes don't don't use any W prime. It's more about nope. a, a you know a calorie or or, or um, um, carbohydrate sort of management um, thing, but sure. they've all got a certain overpower which they can bring if they need to. Um, and so, yeah, it's more about it's, it's quite a different pacing strategy for these long distance athletes. But yeah, you can still give them useful insights and useful tools how to have the fastest race. That is that is super super cool. Um, okay, so switching gears a little bit, um, you've got uh, a number of uh, of athletes that you support on the on the course uh, this weekend. Um, who who are those people? Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, some bigger names are like um, Daniel Arif, um, mm-hmm. uh, who's here. Uh, Jan van Berkel, he's uh, one of these top Swiss athlete here. Um, Laura Philip, unfortunately, yeah, um, Kona uh, has has COVID. Um, literally, it's so bitter for her not being able to start because she was the favourite in the women's field. Um, 
Yeah, we've got a couple of um, of, of new athletes um, like uh, Lisa Norden from 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 Sweden. She's a, mm-hmm. you know Olympian and uh, multiple times champion who's now sort of coming to the long distance. Um, oh gosh, Andy Dreitz, uh, uh, yeah, um, Denis Chevron. He's a new uh, French rider. Yeah, so yeah, a yeah. lot a lot of guys. Not all of them are getting the same level. Um, because you know we can't, um, you know, some of them are fairly new to the long distance, and it makes no sense to overload them with uh, <laughs> with with that sort of level of information. But with yeah. the you know with the top athletes that are at the top um, who are in it to win it, um, where literally you know having an extra minute advantage can make a big difference. Um, you know these sorts of things literally do bring a minute or more uh, advantage to them. So you know we're working with them to to do that. Oh, that's that's so cool. Um, okay, switching to to more of the uh, the gear side because this is something that we uh, didn't have an opportunity to cover in, in our first conversation. Um, so first, uh, JP, I'll ask you to introduce what um, what pieces of hardware Suicide either develops totally in house or co develops, and then from there, I've got some some questions on how the kind of testing you're doing today or well this week, let's say, uh, affects the the design decisions in in making those uh, hardware components. Yeah. So in terms of un, under the Swiss side brand, uh, the main things that we produce are our wheels and we're now doing the cockpits. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of collaboration projects, uh, we work really closely together with DT Swiss on on their wheels. Their wheels are also co-branded with Aerodynamics by Swissside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we actually design, uh, uh, do the aerodynamic design of, of a, a huge amount of everything, literally from head to toe. Um, in the bike frames, which are the bigger bits, um, you know, we were behind the aerodynamic design of the um, Canyon Speedmax, uh, the new hmm. Canyon Air Road. Um, they were all developed uh, together with us. The Cubarium triathlon bike uh, behind me here, which is my bike, uh, we, we designed that one. Um, the new Simplon bikes in in Europe. Um, I mean, yeah, there's there's been a lot of a uh, lot of bikes we've been involved with. Um, we also do helmets, so we've been doing um, a bunch of helmets with uh, the Ecoy brand. So the, okay. the new yeah. the new Ecoy time trial helmet um, was designed by us. Um, uh, there's uh, the Rudy project, the Rudy Wing helmet um, was designed by us. Um, and then um, moving moving further down, what else are we involved in? Oh, we do a lot of suit development. So um, mm-hmm. uh, we did, uh, I mean, in Kona 2019, uh, the Castelli suits turned up with the silicon ribs on their arms. That was something mm-hmm. that we did um, together with Castelli for Laura Phillip and, um, and Patrick Langer. Um, and we're currently yeah, developing suits um, for, for a number of brands. That's an area, so textiles is an area where we're, we're really um, getting deeply involved in, in now hmm. because there's a lot of potential. We mentioned in the first podcast that you as the athlete, you know, you're sort of 65 70% of the aerodynamic drag, so working on the athlete is super important. Um, we don't have any plans at Suicide to produce our own suits or our own helmets, uh, but we, we work and really closely with these brands to develop their products, and we obviously get um, – that's a big part of our consulting business um, that uh, generates income for the Suicide engineering side of the business. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a lot of pies. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I was definitely the uh, uh, the wheels were on my radar and the front ends. That's sort of where I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, and uh, you you did mention suits last time we spoke, but I didn't realize that you were you had such a hand in uh, in the development of frames and uh, and helmets as well. well super super cool. Um, so I do want to spend some time talking about front ends because this is something that 
uh, it's just a, a personal interest of mine currently because of there's there's it feels like for the longest time triathlon front ends time trial front ends were just stuck in the same kind of you know mold for uh, forgive the pun uh, they were they all kind of looked more or less the same uh, the better ones worked the worst ones didn't even work um, but there wasn't a lot of uh, you know there wasn't a lot of innovation at least from my end user perspective or bike fitter perspective there other than okay this one's easier to adjust than the other one and that's that makes my life easier as a fitter uh, but these days wow it's uh, it looks like the field has exploded there's so many people making custom stuff there are people you know there's there are all sorts of brands that that i you know they maybe they existed three four years ago but i didn't know who they were that now i i know who they are a lot of folks out of europe out of the uk that are making these things um so very very interested in the in your take on on front end development um and because we are because you are in saint george and because we were talking about testing uh if you can tie that conversation into how your field testing colors your choices on front end development um that's where i would like to go next yeah, definitely. So the sort of the front end development at Twistside uh, started in uh, 2018, where we wanted to develop a special cockpit for Patrick Lange. Um, so this, this sort of evolved to the it was evolved to be known as the Project 101, uh, and 101. I think standards... I remember. I remember being. I remember reading about 101 back in the day. Yeah. yeah. So, so the, the, in 2018, Patrick Lange had done. Um, I think it was 2018, or was it 2000? And... He won uh, in 2017. Eight. Oh, he, yeah. Yeah, it was 2017. Um, he was 101 seconds off going under the eight-hour mark. Mm. And so the goal was, okay, um, you know, we've promised Patrick every year to to save him sort of two minutes of time. Hmm. Um, and uh, that's kind of where we're at. We've always been able to deliver that for him um, in various sets of equipment or setup um, development. And, uh, what we, what we identified is there's a lot of potential in the, in the cockpit. You know, we talked about it last time, front end sees the direct wind. Um, so, you know, we, what we did is we, we did some basic testing the wind tunnel established yet. There's, there's a bunch of Watts to be had here. That's enough Watts to get 101 seconds, actually quite a bit, quite a bit more than that. Um, let's do it. So that the idea was, was, purely aerodynamic at the at the time and mm-hmm. um basically uh in the end we we delivered it we produced a, a a structural 3d printed titanium cockpit that was molded completely to his arms it basically was an extension to his forearms mm-hmm. in terms of the shape which was aerodynamically very beneficial and as well removing the gap between um the extension and his his arms um and um, and it had like a pad all the way along and up to the hand that he could lean on. Now, uh, what what was really interesting about this is um, is sort of in hindsight. So he went on. He not only went 101 seconds faster. He went about eight minutes faster, and he <laughs> set the fastest time, the first man ever under eight hours in in Kona. Yeah. Um, so it was awesome. But his feedback after the race was, I don't care about the aerodynamic gain. He obviously does care about the aerodynamic game, but he said <laughs> the, the, the massive benefit for him was the ergon- ergonomic side. Mm-hmm. He said he he could just lean on these things with his whole arm, completely relax his shoulders, and he said the amount of energy saved by just being relaxed and having less muscle tension in his shoulder and certainly in the center of the shoulders on his back, he said he saves over you know four and a half hours on this bike course, saves so mm. much energy. He ran as well his fastest ever and was the fastest ever runtime in Kona that year and he said that the the benefit the ergonomic benefit far outweighed for him the aero benefit 
and allowed him to as well gain more time on the um, on the run. And that was for me like a real eye opener. It was like, wow, okay, you know, we've been into this trying to do aerodynamics and and ended up with an aero ergo um, <laughs> super solution. Um, and so since then, you know, wow, I thought that's great. And and so we've then evolved these sorts of designs to give even more hold and even more ergonomics whilst enhancing the aerodynamics even more. Um, and um, yeah, so we've got, uh, there'll be two two top athletes um, who'll be running with um, Swiss side cockpits. And I mean, they are fully custom in terms of we scan them uh, and then we adapt them for their specific needs. And these are these are two cockpits that are very different from each other. The first one is Daniela Reef. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, she loves, loves the new cockpit. She's super happy with it. And what's really interesting about that was, about that one is it was quite complex in terms of she wanted to run two hand positions. So she runs her normal TT hand position where she's fully, you know, as, as far stretched out as possible. Okay, yep. And then when she climbs, she likes to stay in the aero position because she's still quite fast, yes. but she wants to hold further back. So we had to kind of create this sort of hybrid solution that accommodated huh. both both hand positions. So when when people see pictures of, of Daniela's um, – uh, cockpit they'll see it's kind of like it's a little bit short it's a little bit stumpy but looks awesome actually um and and then sort of optimizing the aerodynamics to to, to make sure it works in both arm positions but mostly in the tt position without too much of detriment um was was a bit of a um uh, a bit of a challenge and actually the iteration that she's 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 riding here in st george is the third iteration so it's the first time this version will be raced and it's it's really got that final um that final honing of, of aero performance, and it's a really solid game. Um, then the other one is Jan van Berkel, and Jan van Berkel's completely different. He ride, rides with the praying mantis position, so it's like quite a massive cockpit. It's a real boat. Um, and it, it's <laughs> I've support. seen it. It's, it, it, does look, uh, it does look hefty. Yeah, um, but it's, it's super light, so the, the, the cockpits are structural. They, they completely replace the arm pads. Um, we do them in a 3D printed carbon reinforced material, mm-hmm. um, which is super cool. Uh, I mentioned in the first podcast, it's the type of uh, material that we used a lot in Formula One for brake ducts and, and other sort of semi-structural parts. Oh, cool. Um, and it's the most commonly used material in wind tunnel testing um, in Formula One. And um, yeah, well, Jan van Berkel also wanted some storage capability for mm. you know, spare tube or, or potentially like some emergency gels or whatever. So we've got like a little compartment in there for that. <laughs> so um, nice. yeah, so again... Uh, you know, uh, doing a lot of stuff. And for him, it was also like a massive game. Um, uh, so, yeah, so two new cockpits that are out there. Okay. My question to you as a, you know, as, as, as very far from a pro triathlete, uh, from a consumer perspective, are is this offering a fully custom only a proposition or do you have something that's a little bit more off the shelf that's available for, you know, the more average consumer out there? No, we're definitely, uh, you know, at Suicide, we always, we have two things in mind. One is all the development we do for the pros, we want to make available for the uh, end consumer. Mm -hmm. Um, And secondly, we want to keep the price in sort of a reasonable level. Um, (laughs) Yeah. um, Because, of course, like, you know, just to put it in context, you know, the Patrick Langer 3D printed titanium uh, cockpit project with all the effort we did into that with, wind tunnel testing, prototypes, they were structural, so we did fatigue testing. Mm. You, know, you could have bought yourself a, a nice little BMW for, for the, the <laughs> amount of money that went into that development. I, I bit, believe it, yeah. It was a bit crazy. But these cockpits, so what, what we're really trying to do is, first of all, we we try and keep as much of the base structure 
as possible. Um, mm-hmm. So we use the existing mounts where the normal arm pads, uh, elbow pads mount, and we use the existing extensions. So they're really, um, although they do carry your whole weight of your arm, um, mm-hmm. they're really kind of like a hybrid structural solution. You've still got the base structure under there. Now, that's important because we don't want to get into any trouble and we don't want to get in, you know, we don't want to put anyone at risk. So the original bikes have been designed with their original parts. They've been tested. They've been proved. Um, so that's great. So we went for this hybrid solution. Um, and then the second thing is, yeah, we want to make them available to uh, to end consumers. So the the listeners at home can't see it, but you know you you can see it, Michael. In the background is is, is my custom cockpit, um, and that's been designed in a way that we're going to do it for um, for the people uh, for for end consumers and age group athletes. In that. Hmm. You send us a bunch or we give you a sort of a, um, a sort of a formula, how you fill in, you measure your arms, when you're in the position, you me- measure your widths. Um, you give us sort of all of this key information that you need. We then have like a really parametric model for a bunch of different bikes, which we've built up. Um, we change the, the parameters, the model, model updates. Um, we send a picture of that to the end consumer. We say, these are the dimensions. This is what it looks like. Check mm-hmm. it, sign it off. Um, then we send it off for, for 3D printing, and uh, and, and del- that's the plan. We're going to deliver it to the end consumer. We're not quite there yet, um, mm. but uh, the plan is is to be doing that um, sort of by mid year. And um, yeah, what's what's really cool, and I've said it for a long time, is I really believe in 3D printing. Um, and with the types of 3D printing that we've got now available, doesn't they don't have to be 3D printed metals like these kind of materials like we're using here. Um, you know, they're a laser sinter. They're 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 quite structural um, and they're really high quality. Uh, you can really do a lot with that. And that's, you know, we're not going down the route of taking a mold of, of a customer's arms and then producing a sort of a, a cheap mold and then making carbon fiber shells because mm-hmm. it's highly time consuming, it's highly expensive, and we want to try and bring a solution that's just as good aerodynamically or better aerodynamically because I think we have a little bit more insights um, and ergonomically great based on all of the knowledge we've group- gathered from our pro athletes uh, and deliver it to the end consumer for a fair price. And I think, you know, with 3D printing direction, um, you can you can achieve that. So, um, yeah, that's sort of the direction we're heading and all of these sort of cockpits that you'll see um, on my bike at the moment, which I've posted lots on Instagram, Instagram about, uh, but then Daniela's and, and Jan van Berkel's cockpits, um, they're really all, um, you know, prototypes that that, uh, that we're going to start using, well, which we have used to, to um, generate understanding so that we can deliver the end consumers uh, a great product. Hmm. Uh, and that's uh, that's a really cool solution that it is that that hybrid solution because, uh, yeah, heretofore it's been either like fully custom as you say and as you've explained or or off the shelf and uh, I'll plus one the uh, the ergonomic benefits of of having a longer more um, you know more shape holding um, cup in in riding I I've got a set of uh, off the shelf tri rig scoops and uh, the first time I put my uh, my arms onto these things it was like it felt like I was riding on a couch all of a sudden it was just so exceptionally comfortable and it could they could be much better still because uh you know these aren't necessarily fitted to me and I, i've got some qualms with those particular scoops but uh the the difference between riding it, listeners if you if you've never ridden any like one of these things and one of your friends has a bike that has uh, a longer more more formed uh, uh a cup holder for your elbows and your forearms strongly recommend it it's a it's an experience that is uh, that is that everyone deserves i think and uh with uh, with what you were developing jp it sounds like you might you might have a much uh, an even much better option um in the in the works soon 
Yeah, and, and I also want to add one thing to that. First of all, it's quite funny. The, the I've literally just got back in from a ride with some some of the really top age groupers that um, that uh, Swissside uh, that are riding Swissside. Um, some great French guys. I, I tell you what, they're absolutely amazing, and and you know, huge respect to all of the age group athletes out here. You know. They are just amazing, um, yeah. but yeah, a b- bunch of those guys literally today bought a set of um of of these uh, tri rig um, scoops, and he's like, "Oh, I've done something you should never do. I've put these new scoops on <laughs> on for the race." Yeah. and like literally in that ride, they rode them for the first time, and they had exactly uh, the reaction that you were saying. They're like, "Oh my god, this is just really nice to ride." And yeah. and um and one thing I really want to stress about about these, which is coming back to the wheel selection and then we said you want to have the biggest wheels possible because you can benefit the most from the sailing effect one thing that i've heard time and time again from our athletes and also now with my own experience is these um you know when you have the support of your full underarm um you can much better control um, wind impulses and the Mm -hmm. impulses that it gives on the front wheel um so you get a big improvement in your aero stability and your ability to ride in sort of gusty, say, more challenging wind conditions. So basically they enable you to ride a bigger sail, a bigger front wheel, and get more aero benefit at the same time. So you're getting – it's really like a a multi-multi benefit. You're getting – the aero benefit because you can ride a bigger front wheel. You're getting Mm -hmm. the aero benefit because the good cockpits – are actually aerodynamically and specifically what we're doing. Um, you know, my cockpit in particular, I've had it in the wind tunnel, it's 10 watts at 45 kilometers an hour. Versus um, what? Sorry? 10, uh, 10 watts co- saving. Compared, compared with? Compared to the standard setup with the two elbow pads and the extensions. Got it. Um, so it's a 10 watt saving, um, again, at 45 kilometers an hour. You can halve that for, for 35 kilometers an hour. Um, and, uh, and then you have the ergonomic benefit as well. So, yeah benefits across the board that's amazing yeah and uh it's it's super exciting and also for for me because my my interests are kind of like in bike fit and aero testing uh having this, having these these technologies develop is is super exciting and also i mean this has nothing maybe this isn't uh, related exactly to what you're doing but uh just the adjustability of modern cockpits makes our lives so much easier oh. and uh again that's that's another reason why i, I get so excited about this stuff yeah, and a big shout out to Cervelo. We've had nothing to do with Cervelo, but I have to say I love their cockpits. You know, one screw, oh you my know, God, yeah. put, put, oh, no. one, one screw, put it up, uh, change the angle. I mean, especially when I'm working in the wind tunnel with athletes, they want to change positions. It's like a mm-hmm. dream rather than, you know, some of these, you know, spacer stacks and you've got to pull the, <laughs> the, the, the shift wires out and then, oh, you lose the dowel pins and, oh, it's a bloody nightmare. But, yeah, no. Uh, well, you gave props to Cervelo. You could throw them under the bus too. Remember the old P5? Like it was it was impossible to do anything with it without rerouting the hydraulic lines. With yeah, the yeah, adjustment. yeah, yeah. For sure. But the new one's great. The I'll, new one I'll is awesome. I've I've worked on it too. It's it is it is a dream. Um, okay, so uh, I want to I want to change direction a little bit. Now you've uh, you've spent uh, some time in St George. Obviously, you're doing all this testing and working with your athletes. Uh, but no doubt, you've had an opportunity to scope out what uh, what your competition or maybe folks who are not directly your competition are up to. What are the coolest things? Let's say you know, pick two or three really interesting uh, technological innovations that you yourself have spotted. So basically, JP, I've just deputized you as the uh, the reporter on the ground for endurance innovation because we're too cheap to fly ourselves out there yeah no 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 dramas i'm happy to to provide some insights um to be honest haven't seen any major positive innovations i've seen a couple of what i would call 
anti-innovations, um, oh, which, yes. which, which I'm horrified at. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like shady comments. I want to I hear this even more than positive ones now. Yeah. So, so first of all, um, what's really interesting is Lionel Sanders riding the old Canyon, the old model Canyon Speedmax. Hmm. Um, actually, I think it's even the TT version, um, which I completely don't understand. Um, he, he, it's lighter. Uh, so he's got this, uh, I can only assume, I really don't know, I can only assume he's got this thing in his head that, that lighter is better. Now, and again, you know, we've run all these simulations in, um, uh, you know, for, for this course and to put it in perspective on the Kona course, um, mm-hmm. weight's really insensitive. I think I mentioned it last time. It's around about, depending on the athlete, it's around about 30 seconds penalty per additional one kilo of weight mm-hmm. here it's 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 significantly more it's around about two minutes um per additional kilo so it's not insensitive but okay. the the error benefit that the new for example the new speed max brings over the old speed max trumps you know it's it's you know it's in the order of, sort of four minutes time benefit so you know you lose two but you gain four net, yeah, net right. gain of two so you know, when you add up the, the, you know, when you use the physics and you do the calculations, you know, you're better off on the new one. But, you know, for whatever reason, he is riding, well, I've heard he's going to ride the old one. Um, so, you know, we'll see that. Um, the other one is, uh, yeah, the Giant has got uh, a new bike that they've... Um, oh, is that what uh, Blumenfeld's on? Because there, there were like these sneak photos. I was going to ask you about that bike specifically, if you'd seen it. Yeah, you know, I have I have seen it. Um, and, um, yeah, look... Uh, you know, I've done a lot of work on on bikes, and like, like I mentioned, you know, we've we've designed you know, more than ten bikes and lots of TT bikes. I can't mention mm-hmm. them all because some of them are, uh, are sort of under the cover, some of them are public. But you know, the, like I mentioned before, you know, sort of the public ones are all of the Canyon TT bikes, the new generation of Speedmax, um, you know, the Cube bike behind us. Um, you know, we've been involved. Uh, we, well, we did all the aerodynamic development, so we have a really deep understanding of of what you need from from a bike mm-hmm. um and you know we go to great depths you know we do a lot of a lot of cfd work where you can remove tubes and and do stuff we've actually printed prototypes put them in the wind tunnel um and things like removing the top tube you just don't need to do you know a top tube is, is yeah for free. it's neutral <laughs> i it's, can't it's, imagine how it would create drag to be perfectly and, and no no and actually believe it or not uh, a slightly sloping top tube you can actually generate a tiny bit of sailing effect out of when the when you have a crosswind so hmm. you can actually get a benefit from a top tube um and the whole concept of removing the top tube, and then you end up with a really wide, you know, increased frontal area down tube. Um, it, it makes it just makes no sense. And then the other thing is uh, a lot of these, you know, we've seen it with the uh, K two cycle, and now we're seeing it with this this new giant bike. People are jumping on this bandwagon, presumably of the. Um, you know, of the, the Hope Lotus bike and, or the guys from K2. Yeah, Cycles. yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah, okay, perfect. I love that you're talking about this because this was my next question. Please, yeah. please go ahead. No, yeah. no, so look, look, the, the, these are, there are some very solid thinking behind these bikes. And, and basically for those at home, uh, you know, you've got these super long fork legs. You've got quite a lot of, of bulk at the front of the bike that mm-hmm. deliberately generates a large wake, so a lot of aerodynamic loss um, with the idea that you hit the rider with that loss and you reduce the drag on the rider. Now, we've done a lot of work on this sort of stuff. As part of Project 101, we did some work on this sort of stuff. And on a velodrome where you have a really controlled airflow, you know, the the wind comes from the front in the corners, Mm -hmm. you have about two degrees of yaw, 
you know exactly what's happening. You can really line up the, the, the wakes of these elements of the forks of the cockpit to hit the rider exactly in the right way. You can make it work. You can get a net gain. Um, out on the road, when you have wind, and you always have wind, mm-hmm. you don't hit the rider in the right way the majority of the time. Mm-hmm. And so you basically you, you, you create drag to lose it on the, on the rider, but most of the time you don't lose it on the rider. So you basically end up with a drag producing device and uh, it, it simply doesn't work. And like, in, that's my, my opinion. And that's my opinion based on a, a lot of development, a lot of testing. Um, and so I, I'm really surprised when I see these bikes come out, because if you go into wind tunnel and you just test, uh, you just test, um, you know, the different yaw angles and you go up 20 degrees of yaw, uh, you'll see that, you know, basically anything outside of about you know plus or minus three or four degrees depending how they've set it up mm-hmm. um uh, it's a it's a huge disadvantage and um coming back to our cda meter and the type of measurements we're doing doing here what we're doing is we're measuring exactly this we're measuring not just aerodynamic drag but we're measuring the wind condition so at what angle is the wind hitting us what sort of wind gusts are we seeing so we get a really good picture of you know what's the range of wind angles that you see on a wind still day on a windy day on a constant wind day on a gusty day and what another thing we also do is we compare that with wind tower data so we have all of the wind towers here and we get the official data which you can get access to um, online and we compare what those wind towers say to what the type of wind we're measuring at the ground level and that's really important because there's quite a big you get less than 50 percent the wind towers are typically in 10 meter height, uh, and what you get at one meter height to one and a half meter height, which is what we're interested in cycling, um, is less than 50 percent. Actually, it's you know around 30 percent of the wind that you're getting up high. No, oh, interesting. And okay. so all of that stuff's really interesting because when we go to a new course, we start with the wind tower data, um, and then what we can do is we can apply a scaling factor to get an understanding of what wind. We put it in our simulation tool. Now we're getting a bit sort of geeky and technical, but basically that's that's the best way to go. Yeah. (laughs) But basically in the end of the day, what it boils down to is what type of wind does the rider see and what wind angles does the rider see? So then we come back to these concepts. And like I mentioned, we've tested them all the wind tunnel. um, And we've had, you know, various types of these crazy forks and we've tried to make them work for the widest range of your angles possible. And our conclusion is you basically, the majority of the time you're going to generate more drag, um, on that system and therefore it's not a good system. Um, on the other hand, I haven't seen one, but I saw yesterday the new BMC um, okay. bike, uh, which came came out. Uh, they did apparently some sort of collab with um, with Red Bull. Now, I don't know how much they were really involved, but <laughs> on, on that side- you other, know, than the, other than the paint scheme, I saw the, yeah, I saw the paint of that of that bike. But uh, I it, know looks pretty, it looks pretty it. rad. It, looks pretty it rad. does look, it, it looks great, yeah. Yeah, um, but you know, when I look at that bike, I say, yeah, it looks reasonable. And, you know, um, what you're seeing is, you know, um, it, it's gravitating towards similar solutions to what we've already got. And for me, that looks like a bike that works and looks like a bike that's probably been studied. So sort of to wrap it up, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised to see this giant bike because in, in my opinion, if you do your homework and you do the measurements and you know what sort of wind you see in the real world and you apply that to how you test in the wind tunnel, um, you, you're going to see that that's not a good concept. And again, sort of mm-hmm. coming back to the whole, we talked about it in the first podcast, this sort of forearm development. This is where really the on-road testing and the on-road measurement is so important because that feeds back your real-world boundary conditions that you feed then into your simulations, that you feed into your CFD work, that you feed into your wind tunnel work, and you need that whole loop um, to to understand, uh, understand the problem. Um, and 
sort of as a final note in terms of you know you, you mentioned you were surprised that we're sort of all you know we're really you know doing helmets or we're doing um doing bike frames and whatever mm-hmm. um the reason we we do all of that is when we started doing wheels um we we never sort of went out to say oh, okay let's design the fastest wheels um the first thing we need to do is understand the bike and rider system um and by understanding the system only then can we design the best wheels to support that system sure. um and so that's kind of we've spent you know many many years understanding this whole system and of course you know with complete athletes in the wind tunnel optimizing athletes um you know we have sort of this this, this know-how and then in the end we can apply it to a helmet or a bike frame or the wheels um, actually doesn't really matter the the process is exactly the same and because we have the understanding um and this sort of cool process with the real world uh, measurements and and the you know, cfd and the wind tunnel um yeah we can apply it to sort of the whole system which is which is great and it's lots of fun well jp i think you just tied the the you know this and last episode up in a very neat bow with that last uh that last stanza you you just delivered so um and and for me i i think this is obviously a very satisfying conversation because this is something that's super interesting but and i'm hoping for our listeners too to get the the insights um that you've offered so the insights of somebody who's in that industry in like lives and breathes aerodynamics and develops all of both the testing and the and the hardware um to get your insight onto what's going to be happening in in, well, by the time this comes out, what, what, what has already happened? But for you and me, what's going to be happening in a, in a few days' time? Uh, that's fascinating, and um, I really want to thank you for for taking the time to deliver that to us. Yeah, no, my, my pleasure. And um, yeah, let's uh, let's see who wins in uh, who wins in St George. Fingers crossed for for the Swiss athletes. <laughs> that's, that's what I was going to say before I let you go. Though I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot, and as I promised earlier in the episode, is uh, I'm gonna have you pick a, a a women's and a men's winner. Okay, I think the women's women's is easier. Um, I think there's uh, Kat Matthews, uh, Daniela Reef, and Anna Haug. I think um, it's going to be amongst them. Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say Daniela Reef, Anna Haug, followed by Kat Matthews. Let's yep. let's see see how that plays out yeah. on the men. I think try, <laughs> ra- try rating happens to agree with you. Yeah, I think their their oh, rating they? was well. Well, they put they put uh, Anna Anna first, but then they put uh, D- Daniela second and second, yeah. Uh, and yeah, Cat third, I believe. Yeah, I, I think Daniela's just she's got she's got the experience, and I think of course like this demands experience, and she's strong, and of course mm-hmm. like this demands strength. So. Um, and a hog super fast. I mean, it can go either way. So let's yeah. let's see. Uh, <laughs> totally. on, on the men, I have got no idea. Honestly, I think there's there's yeah. you know, Fredino's not here, Lang is not here. Um I think, you know, it'd be interesting with Bloomfeld. I think, you know, any of the, the Danes, um David McNamee, I think he'll he can be strong here. Um uh yeah, it's uh, I think a dark horse is Jan van Berkel. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that because he's a, a Swiss side uh, sponsored <laughs> athlete, but uh, you know I've seen, I, I know what he can do. Um, I know how well prepared he is. So you know, I really, I would really wish him a podium. He's really put in the yards, and he would deserve every penny. Um, you know, higher up the podium, the better. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'll put him as a dark horse to, to hit the podium. Um, but yeah, I think the men's the men's race is going to be um, it's going to be open to all. You know, even Sebastian Keenler, um, mm-hmm. I think he's got a chance to get in there and up on the podium. Uh, Andy Dreitz, um yeah, I mean, gosh, I, I it's going to be, be a fun it's going to be a fun race one way or another, right? 
and it's going to be super tactical. I think there's going to be a lot of people just um, breaking. There's going to be people challenging each other. There's going to be aggressive breakaway riders, but they'll pay for it in the run. I ran the run course this morning, um, okay. one lap of the of the run course. It's two laps, um, and it's got some proper height meters. And um, yeah, it's it's going to be hot as well. So I think um, those that, that that go too hard on the bike um, will pay for it in the run. I, I, I think you could get guys that come in with sort of five, six, ten minutes. Um, advantage on the bike, and I think yep. they can get they can get run run down on the uh, on the run. Let's see. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be fun to watch. And I'm now I'm super curious to see if uh, if Christian's gonna ride that bike or if he's gonna you know opt for for his more traditional giant because yeah uh, because of what you just told us. Not that not that he's listening to this podcast, but uh, usually the Norwegians they they do their homework. So we'll see what uh, what what ends up happening on the day. Yeah, no, for sure. No, with the giant bike, like I, you know, I don't know in the end, but that's sort of yeah. my my professional opinion. Looking at it, um, you know, I'll have it the wind tunnel at some point in the future. And, um, I'll <laughs> of be course. very Mar- interested. Yeah, market research. Yeah, we'll have to get you yeah. back on the show. And, <laughs> yeah, and I'm always happy to learn something that I that uh, learn something new. You know, you, you're forever Absolutely. learning, and um, and uh, maybe it's a great bike. Who knows? Maybe I've missed something. So we'll see. Yeah, um, JP. Thanks again. This has been this has been a real treat for me for to to get to nerd out with somebody, uh, you know, at your level in the industry. And uh, listeners, I hope you've uh, uh, had as much fun as I have and uh, and learned as much as I have. And if you have, give us a, a good rating and review on iTunes. Um, consider supporting the show at Patreon, and that's Patreon.com/slash Endurance Innovation. JP, one more time, thank you so much, and uh, I hope to be chatting to you in the near future. Awesome. Thank you, and uh, goodbye to everybody listening.